Well, hello and welcome to our Good Friday service at Wheaton Bible Church. I'm so thankful that we're able to gather in this way to commemorate Jesus' death and to reflect on Good Friday and all that it means for us as God's people. How thankful we are, especially during uncertain times, that what happened on Good Friday secures for us the most certain and trustworthy of all foundations, that which our soul truly longs for. Today, in this service interspersed with our songs, will be a number of readings from Mark chapters 14 and 15. We'll take a good amount of time to reflect on the passion story. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles as we go through those readings, starting in Mark 14 after the first song. And with that, let's begin with a call to worship from 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here 
and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. They took Jesus to the high priest and all of chief priests 
the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, riding to the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him.
they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing off his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they say, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who, who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God.
Church, how are you doing? My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I, and I have a couple of questions for you. If I were to ask you today, what things that are, that if they are present, they have the potential to take your happiness away, what would you say? Or let me change the question a little bit. Um, what things that if they are absent, they have the potential to make you feel that life is not worth it. What would you say? See, I think that this is an important, those two are important questions today as we face everything that we're going through. Because we are realizing that the presence of certain things can really make our lives feel painful. For example, we could talk about the presence of a virus or the presence of sickness. Really, the presence of these things have the potential to take our joy away. Also, we are learning and we're realizing that the absence of certain things are also cruel and hurtful. For example, the absence of social interaction and the absence of proximity with people. See, sometimes the presence of certain things and the absence of, of some other things have the potential to make you feel that there is no hope. But today, I, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to consider that even though we're going through difficult and painful situations, you, you don't have to lose hope. That even though we're experiencing everything that, we, that we're going through, you don't have to lose heart because Jesus came to fix all of that. Because Jesus came to give us hope. And he came to give us hope by giving us, doing for us three things. To deal with the presence of sin and the absence of peace. To deal with the presence of suffering and the absence of joy. And to deal with the presence of death and the absence of hope. And this is going to be a two-part sermon. And today, which is going to be looking into the first part, the first of the, these, these three points that I just mentioned, the, the presence of sin and the absence of peace. And then on Sunday, we're going to deal with point number two and number three. So let's talk about the first point, the presence of sin and the absence of peace. The text we're going to be looking at today comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And on Sunday, we're going, to be looking the rest of, uh, we're going to be looking at the rest of the section. But for today, we're only going to be focusing on verse 3. So let me put it on the screen. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the word of God. See, the person that wrote this, this book is a well-known person for us Christians, if you are a Christian. This was written, obviously, by Peter, which happened to be one of Jesus' closest disciples. Actually, you could say that Peter was the leader of leaders, and later on, he would become one of the central figures in church history. Actually, Peter would be a perfect example of what, it, of what it means to live by faith and to die by faith. History tells us that uh, Peter was crucified upside down. History tells us that he died upside down or crucified upside down by choice. 
because he did not want to die the same way his Savior died. See, Peter is a famous person in the history of the church, not just because of his great accomplishments, but because of, because of his spiritual journey. See, if you are familiar with Peter and his story, you know that Peter always struggled with his worst enemy, himself. His worst enemy was always his own sin, his own nature. And he, really had, and he had to learn really early in his spiritual journey that the only way that he was going to be able to experience peace, real peace, was by finding the way, the way and how to deal with himself. How to deal with his sin. See, the, the, way, the way I see it, Peter is the perfect example of what it means to be a human being. See, Peter many times meant well, but he had the tendency to react instead of thinking. Peter was a good man, but many times he was driven by emotions, and sometimes his emotions would betray him. See, Peter was a decent man, but many times he was overconfident. He had the tendency to be, to trust way too much in himself. See, Peter really, really wanted to trust Jesus. But oftentimes, he was distracted by other things and he was controlled by fear. Jesus was a uh, Peter was a courageous man. But he had a hard time understanding and believing that he was weak. See, Peter was a good man, a decent man, a courageous man, a driven man. Yet, he did not know his own heart. He did not know that his worst enemy was the one within. See, I think that sometimes, many times, I'm just like Peter. In which my worst enemy is the one within. See, I, I, I have learned and I've realized that my worst enemy is my own nature. And that the thief of peace that lives within me is the one that makes my life so many times, so miserable. See, I think that I'm not the only one dealing with these things. I think that all of us are just like Peter. This might be the reason why G.K. Chesterton, the famous English writer and philosopher, once asked the question, what's wrong with the world? To which he answered, I am. I am what is wrong with the world. Billy Graham, one of the greater evangelists in the history of the church, in 1998 gave a TED Talk called Technology, Faith, and Human Shortcomings. And he was talking about these great accomplishments that we have had through technology. And he said that even though technology is good and helpful, we cannot place our hope in technology. Why? Because technology does not have the power to change people's hearts. Technology does not have the power to change our nature. So this is what he said. How do we change humanity so that, so, so, so that we don't lie or cheat or do evil things? He said the problem is not technology. The problem is the person or the persons using it. 
What I find interesting about this is that this thought is not unique to Christianity. Actually, in the, in the world outside of Christianity, of, you could say in the atheist world, there's also people that understand this to be true. Albert Einstein, for example, once said that it is easier to denature Plutonian than to denature the evil spirit of men. There's another uh, atheist philosopher, Bertrand Russell, Bertrand Russell, that he says, it is in our hearts that evil lies, and it is from our hearts that it must be plucked out. See, Peter the leader, Peter the apostle, Peter the intimate friend of Jesus knew that this was true. And it, and it was true of him, and it is true of you and me. What Peter found, though, is that he didn't have to stay that way. So whatever Peter discovered then is the same thing that we need to discover today. He found, he found the only way to be able to deal and fix the problem of the presence of sin in our hearts and the absence of peace in our hearts. And he calls it, in verse 3, right at the center, a new birth. Peter discovered that the only way a person can find freedom from within and freedom from oneself, and freedom from an old nature or our own nature, and freedom from our tendencies is by being born again, a new birth. See, Paul here is using a term that, is, that it appears in the New Testament quite a few times. And it's actually this term that explains how is it that people change. And Peter is borrowing an image Jesus used in John chapter 3 in which he says that the only way a person can become a Christian and change by faith is when we are born again. John chapter 3, verse uh, 7. So the question for you today is this. What does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to uh, be new from within? What does it mean to have a new birth? And it means three things. And I'm going to put them on the screen for you. It means... To have a new nature, to have a new identity, and to have a new love. So here's the first one. How is the new birth related to our new nature? John chapter 3 says um, that the only way a person could have a new nature is when the Holy Spirit comes uh, inside of us and changes from within. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes to us and allows us to see the kingdom of God. It is only when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and allows us to see what we never saw before and experience what we never experienced before and understand what we never understood before. It is the work of God working inside of us. See, it is only when a person experiences this that the words of the Bible are more than just simply words. It is the word of God. It's only when we experience this that everything that we go through, everything in our lives are always evidences of God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. Only because that change happened inside of us. It is only when the Holy Spirit works inside of us that we get to see spiritual realities the way we never saw them before. It is only when the Holy Spirit works inside of us that we start to thirst for things that we never 
thirst before. It is only when the Holy Spirit works inside of us that Christianity is not just about religious things, but it's about a life being transformed by the power of the gospel. I could honestly tell you that that was my life before, we, before I became a Christian. See, I grew up in Christianity. I, I Maybe just like you, I, I went to church, I, I read the Bible, uh, I memorized a, a couple of verses. Uh, I did everything that religious people did. But it was one day, and I, I, cannot, I cannot even explain how, but one day I started to see what I never saw before. And out of a sudden, the word of God became real to me. And it became something that I needed, not just for information, but for life transformation. What changed Peter is what changes us today. What gave Peter a new nature, a new a birth, is the same thing that we need today. Actually, this is, this is really important for you to understand because you probably know a little bit about Peter. You know how Peter struggled with his self-confidence. You probably remember that in Matthew chapter 26, right before Jesus is crucified, he tells the disciples that everyone was going to walk away from him. And Peter said, everyone might fall away from you but I never will. But then Jesus told them, tonight you will betray me. But look at how Peter responds. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Here, this is my conviction. That he meant it. Peter loved it, Jesus. Peter walked on water when he was looking at Jesus. Peter did amazing things because he had a, a connection to Jesus. I don't think that Peter was being phony here. There's nothing in the scripture that says that he was being phony here. But you know this story. You know that he betrayed him. Why? Because Christianity offers something more than good intentions, uh, more, than, uh, more than good desires. Christianity is not about you trying harder. Christianity offers uh, something that is much, more, much better than, than simply a better version of you. Christianity offers a new nature. And it was only when Peter received this new nature, this new creation, that he was able to change. Have you experienced that? See, I, I want to get a little bit personal here because I believe that this is a season, this is a time in which you and I must see and must believe that God is good, that he's always good. We must see and we must believe that his steadfast love endures forever. We must believe that he says that he's going to stay with us until the end of the world. We must be able to see and believe that. See, but the only way that we're going to be able to do that, the only way that we're going to be able to trust in that and rest in that and see that, it's only if we have a new nature, if we have been born again. So that's the new identity. Now let's talk about, now, that was the new nature. Now let's talk about this new identity. 
How does the new birth, uh, re- how, does, how is the new birth related to the new identity? And in John chapter 1, Jesus makes this connection between this new birth and us becoming children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the reason why this is important when we talk about being born again is because if that is what you are, and if that is who you are, then that's what defines you. See, if you, have, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in God's court, you are legally his child. And that defines you. And that changes you. It really does. See, this week I was reading about this woman that realized that she went through four different stages in life. Uh, the first stage was when she thought that she was a someone and that she was worth it because she was a good person. She was a moral person. And that was all good. The problem, though, was that she felt really good about herself when, things, when she was doing right things or the right things. But she felt awful about herself and hated herself when she was not doing what she knew that she had to do. In one day, she would go from pride to depression because her identity was rooted in, who, in how good she was. But then she realized that there was another stage in her life. And this stage was different because she thought that she was someone and that she was worthy because she had a man that loved her. You know what the problem was with that? Is that she felt great when he loved her and she felt terrible when he, did, when he didn't. So, he, so she left him. But then her entire life was about being happy when men would notice her. And being completely devastated and afraid when no one noticed her. Because she thought that she could be defined by her beauty. And by man's attention. And then she went through a different stage in which she believed that she was someone that she was worthy if she was successful in business. The problem was that when she was doing good, she felt great about herself. And when she was not doing good in business, she felt terrible about herself. Because she thought that what defined her was how successful she was. And then lastly, she goes through a different stage in which she believed that she was someone that she was worthy because she was helpful to others. So she started to help other people and serve other people and love other people. And the problem was that she noticed that she felt super happy when people were grateful. But she felt miserable when people were ungrateful. And this is what she learned. That being good was not enough. That being beautiful was not enough. That being successful was not enough. That being helpful was not enough. She needed something better and bigger to be able to to define herself in a healthy way. And she discovered the same thing that Peter discovered and the same thing that you and I need to discover today. That our identity is rooted in who we are to God in Jesus And that is that we are his children because we were born again. 
you have no idea how important this was for Peter. I mean, imagine when Peter realized for the first time that he was not as strong and determined and courageous and faithful as he thought he was. You remember that. This is what changed Peter. That he was defined by who he was in Jesus to God. And lastly, the new birth means new love. And here I have to go back to the story of Peter, Peter because it's extremely important that you, that you put it in context. Now, if there's one thing that we all know about Peter is that he betrayed Jesus. So we know, for example, that he was one of the disciples that went and followed Jesus when uh, Jesus be, is, is, about to be, is, is about to get crucified. Right? But there's this part right before Peter denies Jesus in, in which the Gospel of Luke says that in the midst of everything Jesus is going through, in the midst of this humiliation, in the, in the midst of uh, him feeling completely alone because everyone left him, right before Peter denies Jesus, Luke says that Jesus stops and looks at him. And at that moment, he remembers. That Jesus had told him that he would deny him. And seconds before that, he did. And the text says that he broke down and wept. Do you know why that's so important? Because that's the moment when he realized that he was not who he thought he was. At that moment, he realized that he was broken and weak. At that moment, he realized that he needed more than good intentions. He needed to be born again. He finally got to see his heart. That's the same thing for you, and that's the same thing for me. Now, how does someone recuperate from that? How does someone actually deal with guilt and shame once, once you realize that, realize that you were not as good as, as you thought you were? Where Peter here gives us the answer in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says that it was because of the God's great mercy that he has given us this new uh, birth. Now, I want you to see there are two things. Because in that phrase alone, you find the only thing that really changes people. And deals with the presence of sin and the absence of peace. The one thing we need. And this is it. When you truly understand and believe the magnitude of God's love. Notice that the text tells you that it was God's idea to give you this new birth. He initiated this conversion. He was the one coming for you. He was the one calling unto you. He was the one that loved you first. It was his idea. It was his idea to change your heart. It was his idea to change my heart. It is because God is a God of love and a God of grace. It was because he wanted to deal with the presence of our sin and the absence of our peace. But there's more. Because he tells you that not only he wanted to give you something in grace, but also tells you that he was willing to go 
through the painful process of giving birth. Now, there's a reason why Jesus uses the metaphor of giving birth here. See, if you are a mother, or if you've seen a mother giving birth, you know that the process of giving birth is painful. And in Jesus' times, just like in our times, giving, giving life was painful. It was, there, there was a lot of pain involved because the process is, is suffering in itself. But there was a difference between Jesus' times and our time because in Jesus' times, every time a woman would give birth, there was a high risk of that woman dying. So literally, this was a life exchange. The, the life of the mother for the life of the baby. Isn't that what we celebrate today? Isn't that the reason why we celebrate Good Friday? Isn't that the reason why we remember Good Friday? Because we remember and we celebrate that in order for us to be born again, that in order for us to have this new nature and this new identity, a great exchange had to take place. It was his life for our life. He had to die in order for us to live. It was Jesus, the perfect son of God, giving up his life for us. It was his death for our adoption. It was his pain for our peace. It was his, his holiness for our sinfulness. It was his love for our betrayal. It was his mercy for our shame. His grace for our guilt. His death for our life. That's the new love. And if you have that, that really changes you from within. See, my invitation to you is that you get to know Jesus just like that. So you get to enjoy what it means to be born again. With a new nature, new identity, and new love. Do you have that? And if you are a Christian, do you remember what you have? Now, traditionally, on Good Friday, we celebrate communion. But as a church, we decided to postpone that celebration until that time where we're going to come together and celebrate together. So instead, what we want to do today, though, is I want to read Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to put that on the screen. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What does Jesus mean to me? If you are a believer, you got to ask yourself that question. What does Jesus mean? mean to you and if you're not a believer ask yourself the same question what does Jesus mean to me so just listen to Isaiah 53 and if you want you could follow along reading on the screen who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned, out, turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. As though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bury their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, please make this text real to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's respond with one more hymn together. Nothing but the 
And we'll conclude with the reading from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Amen.